Hello and welcome to Hari Cuts. I'm Hari Stephen Kumar and this is The Long View, week nine. Yes, today is Tuesday, September 1st, exactly nine weeks to go till the election of our lifetimes. And every week I bring you stories and reflections of everyday life uh, of, of people who are getting involved and trying to volunteer and, and make an impact in defeating Trump in the election. And in this week's episode, I actually bring you a special guest, an interview, the very first interview I've had on this podcast um, with a phone bank organizer named Steve. And in this week's episode, I bring you into the world of phone banking uh, and, and take you a little bit behind the scenes. What are phone banks and what are the specific phone banks that I'm involved in? Um, what, what, what are the uh, kinds of calls that get made? Uh, who are some of the callers that, that sign up for these phone banks? And specifically, uh, let's get to know a little bit about Steve, uh, the organizer of these phone banks. What is, what is it like to actually uh, take a peek behind the scenes of a week in the life of Steve, who's organizing phone banks? What are his motivations and what's his story? So without further ado, let's get into the world of phone banking in the Longview Week 9. So what are phone banks and how are they useful in elections? Phone banks are when groups of people come together and collectively make a series of phone calls into a particular state um, and, uh, and talk with voters for a variety of purposes. So some phone banks are set up uh, uh, explicitly to, uh, as persuasion calls. Uh, you know, People will call and try to persuade voters on the other end to vote one way or the other. Um, other phone banks are set up to call uh, to mobilize and get out the vote. Uh, for voters who are already committed party members, uh, phone banks are, are a way to uh, encourage them to, to make a plan to go vote on election day. And so there are, there are a bunch of different ways that phone banks can be used. Um, in this uh, uh, election, uh, there are a few different groups that are mobilizing to do phone banking as a way for both uh, persuasion, but also as a way to mobilize and get out the vote. Um, and one of those groups is a group called Swing Left. And the idea with Swing Left is uh, it's, um, it's taking people um, uh, from across the country, and, uh, but focusing on specific states that have uh, a critical potential of swinging left, of, uh, of really being a, a swing factor in the election. And so of the, different, of the 50 different states in the U.S., most of them, uh, it, it's, an, it's a pretty uh, likely outcome that they're going to vote uh, either Democratic or Republican. But there are just a few, a handful of states where the outcome is really uncertain. They could swing one way or the other, and they would determine the outcome of the election overall. And so some of those states, for example, are uh, Wisconsin, Pennsylvania, Florida, Arizona, this, this year, strangely enough, potentially even Texas, uh, Georgia, North Carolina, uh, states that have been historically deeply red and, and very likely to vote Republican are now in the mix. And, and so the, the, the particular phone banks that I'm involved in is with a group uh, in, in Boston called the Swing Left Greater Boston Group, and in the Swing Left Greater Boston chapter, there is a Wisconsin subgroup. And the Wisconsin subgroup specifically focuses on just the state of Wisconsin. And 
since I joined the group about two weeks ago, uh, uh, the Wisconsin group does four different phone banks over the course of the week. So there is a Wednesday evening phone bank that goes from 6.30 to 8.30. There is a Saturday afternoon phone bank that goes from 2 to 4. These two phone banks, the Wednesday and Saturday phone banks, these are called uh, uh, volunteer recruitment phone banks or uh, voter protection phone banks. Uh, there are two other phone banks that happen on Sunday afternoon from 4 to 6, and then Thursday night, starting this week, Thursday nights uh, from 7 to 9. These two other phone banks, the purpose of these phone banks is something known as bridge building. These are intended to do relationship building with persuadable voters. So these are more persuasion calls. So of these four phone banks, the two that are um, uh, voter protection the, the audience for those, the Wisconsin Democratic Party uh, has organized and, and uh, put together lists of likely Democratic voters, uh, people who are committed Democrats or who are leaning toward uh, voting Democrat. Um, and these are the folks that the Wisconsin Democratic Party wants to recruit as potential volunteers to help out with a variety of election-related um, getting out the vote, mobilizing, making phone calls just like we are. Uh, but also, crucially in Wisconsin, where there's a huge shortage of poll workers to actually keep polling stations open, uh, one of the, the big asks for the Wisconsin Democratic Party is for committed Democrats to actually sign up to be poll workers and to go and, and, and uh, help a polling station actually function and operate. So that's a huge uh, focus of the, the Wednesday and Saturday calls. The... Uh, persuasion calls, the likely people answering the phone for these persuasion calls are actually going to be people who may or may not have decided yet. Some of them may actually be Trump supporters who may be rethinking their decision, or they may be very strongly committed to Trump. We just don't know. And the purpose of those calls is slightly different. Um, in the uh, bridge building, the, the voter persuasion calls, the uh, approach there isn't to explicitly convert people or persuade them. It's to actually just open them up into a conversation about what are the issues they care about. So of these four different phone banks, uh, every week on any one of these phone call phone banks, uh, there are anywhere from about 15 to 20, sometimes 25 people that uh, sign up and uh, that show up. Um, Registrations are usually much higher, about 40, 50 people or so register. And we expect that as the election approaches, more and more people are going to volunteer to be phone bank callers. And the more we can get, the better. So currently, over the course of a week, over these four phone banks, we're talking uh, anywhere from about 60 to, to 100 people or so making phone calls. In each of these phone bank sessions, um, uh, you know, but you know, 15 to 20 people, 25 people in a session over those two hours. Uh, collectively, uh, we make or we, we speak with anywhere from 100 to 200 um, uh, actual voters. So over the course of a week, that's you know anywhere from about 400 to 500 or so actual conversations that happen. The number of calls we make is much more. Uh, it's on the order of about maybe you know, a couple of thousand calls made over the course of the week across these four phone bank groups. 
but the number of actual conversations we have is, is far lower. And of those actual conversations, the number of people that we actually recruit in the, in the volunteer uh, recruitment fund bank is even lower. Somewhere on the order of maybe a couple dozen people per week is all that we can get out of making all of those calls and having all of those conversations. And so then there's the, the question then arises of, well, is that really worth it? Is that really a worthwhile effort to do this? And especially this past week, with the events of uh, uh, Kenosha, Wisconsin, with yet another police shooting of a black man in front of his kids, um, and the resulting horror and protests, and some of those protests uh, spiraling into uh, violence and outrage and an instigation by extremists on, on multiple uh, multiple actors. Um, there's a real sense of, um, you know, how careful have to be, how do we have to be in making these calls into Kenosha, Wisconsin. And so let's get into a little bit now about what actually motivates the organizer behind uh, these phone banks. And that is a gentleman named Steve. Um, and as we get into meeting Steve, one of the things that's on my mind this past week has been reflecting on um, uh, an Italian political activist and organizer uh, named Antonio Gramsci. And uh, Gramsci lived during Mussolini's time. And actually, Gramsci was a key organizer and, and, an, and an intellectual leader of um, the Communist Party to try that was trying to stop Mussolini from getting elected in the first place. And once Mussolini got elected, his uh, uh, state prosecutors rounded up the, the Communist Party leaders, Gramsci being one of them. And then during Gramsci's trial, the prosecutor famously said that the goal of the, of the state was to lock Gramsci up and stop his mind from thinking and speaking. And even so, Gramsci found a way in prison to continue writing and to continue speaking and smuggling his writing out of prison. Um, and, and when he was asked um, why he was doing this, why he was continuing you know, after years in, in Mussolini's prison, why, what was it that kept him going? He said that he was able to do all of this because he had, quote, optimism of the will, pessimism of the intellect. And that phrase has been um, on my mind as I've been thinking about this series and about, about the long view, optimism of the will, pessimism of the intellect. When I first learned about this, it was actually through a, a British political organizer named Stuart Hall, who in the 80s and 90s criticized uh, those of us on the left of getting that order exactly backward, that um, we on the left tend to be optimists of the intellect, but pessimists of the will. We're so intellectually confident in our argument, in, in the fact that we have the right view, um, uh, that, that we feel like, well, of course, everybody's going to be convinced by, by just that sheer logic of, of our argument. But then when it comes to actually doing anything, we tend to be deeply pessimistic and skeptical that unless any action uh, has a guaranteed outcome, 
we feel like it's not worth our time to, to put put any effort into that. And Stuart Hall criticized the, the left for forgetting that uh, for Gramsci and for so many others in the in the long arc of history, it's actually about being optimists of the will. Yes, we have to be pessimistic intellectually. Yes, we have to analyze all the possible ways that our efforts could be thwarted or could be countered, but we still have to do something, and every little bit counts. The more people who are doing multiple various things across a whole coalition um, is what it takes to, to make change happen. And so that's what I'm reflecting on as 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 I'm working with Steve and his co-organizer Ben on training the the uh, the callers for these phone banks, uh, and so let's get into um, a little bit of of uh, getting to know Steve and getting to know some of his motivations. This is my very very first interview, um, and so it's going to be a little choppy, um, uh, and uh, I've I've lightly edited the interview and and, and uh, distilled it, but uh, let's let's uh, get to know Steve. So, uh, Steve, uh, welcome to Harikats. Uh, and, nice uh, to be here. Thank you. Uh, nice to have you. Nice to meet you. Uh, I've only known you for a, a couple weeks, if that. Yeah. Um, and so this is actually a, a great chance for me to get to know you a little bit better, too. Um, so tell me a little bit about yourself. I, I, apart from your name and a little bit about your background, I don't, I don't know too much about you. Okay. Well, I'm 67. Um, I'm retired. I was a nurse practitioner. I worked at, in adult medicine as a primary care provider in a Boston Neighborhood Health Center affiliated with Boston Medical Center called Dorchester House Neighborhood Health Center, taking care of poor people. Um, I'm married. I have one daughter who's age 32. Um, Neither of my parents are still alive. I have a sister that lives in the middle of desert in Arizona. Oh, wow. And, and where do you live uh, currently? Um, I live in Brookline. All right. Yeah. 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 Um, uh, so you're, you're retired. You're a nurse practitioner. Um, what are you currently involved in when it, when it comes to this, this upcoming election? I know you through... Swing Left Greater Boston, which yeah. is where, where I got connected just a couple of weeks ago, but my understanding is you've been involved in there in that for quite a while. Um, not as long as you might think. Um, back in 2018, um, I volunteered. Um, they had a works, they used a, this place called Work Bar in Central Square, where they used this office that they were donated, I think and had events on the weekend on Sunday afternoon where people came and did volunteer work doing postcarding or calling for the midterms. And I did that. And then I um, wasn't connected with Swing Left. After that, um, about a year and a little ago, a group of my friends and I decided that we needed to work on this election. We've, we're members of a secular Jewish community called uh, Workman Circle. 
Hmm. It's now called Worker Circle, and uh, we decided to try and recruit people from our community to get involved in 2020 politics, and we formed this small little group of five of us now, six of us, called uh, Act Together 2020, hmm. and um, through a series of connections, uh, I had a friend from college who lives in Wisconsin, and Laura Derman has a sister that was doing fundraising for this Wisconsin Democrats, we decided that we were going to commit our little group to support Wisconsin. Uh -huh. And as we were starting to do that, um, we reconnected with Swing Left and Susan Labandabar. And um, she was trying to recruit me and us to kind of take over the Swing Left Wisconsin team because mm -hmm. it wasn't really happening and I was resistant. And then all of a sudden I wasn't. Hmm. And that happened um, sometime in late May, early June. Huh. So what does doing more look like? Uh, what, why don't you take me through, like, what does a typical week look like for you starting, starting today, Sunday? So what's, what's, uh, what's this evening look like for you? What's Monday look like for you? Um, it's a shame. Um, actually, I'll be able to look at my um, this document I wrote, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. My weekly schedule. Mm. Monday, send announcements to Swing Left, this other group, Boost, Brookline Packs, Wave of the Week regarding our phone banks. Send announcements out to the full list that I keep about the Wednesday and Thursday phone banks. Arrange for my group Act Together 2020 to send out uh, emails. Um, look over the last two phone banks and look at the people who registered and make sure they're on my list. Um, talk with Ben about our monthly strategy meeting. Um, I have a four to five o'clock meeting uh, as a state leader with Swing Left Greater Boston. And then tomorrow night, we have a kickoff campaign meeting. Um, with um, Neil Plotkin's committee. Mm -hmm. Oh, and I also have a meeting at three to four, but it's every other, so I don't know if it's tomorrow. Tuesday, I'm meeting with Lisa Zankman. Um, I'm then following up with a variety of people on our team to see how they're doing with the work they're progressing. Um, I'm sending an email to the voter protection group um, to give them the uh, voter protection guide mm -hmm. and remind them to show up. Um, there's a meeting every other week with Together for 2020 between 11 and 12 that I go to. Mm -hmm. Wednesday is the phone bank, 6.30 to 8.30 at night. I have to do an hour or so, maybe two of prep for that. There's another couple of um, lists that I, I, I look over regularly to see if there are other people I need to put on my contact list. Mm -hmm. There's the monthly strategy team meeting, the second Wednesday of the month. And there's another together for 2020 meeting between 1230 and 1.30. Mm -hmm. Thursday, I emailed list of recruits on Thursday uh, from the phone back on Wednesday. I send out a... Uh, a report on how we did on Wednesday to everyone who attended the phone bank. Mm. Then I send an announcement um, to people about the phone banks on Friday and Saturday. 
mm-hmm. Friday, um, I send out uh, a reminder for the Saturday phone banks. Uh, and um, I look over the last two um, phone banks to look for new people. Saturday is the phone bank I do between two and four o'clock, which, and I need to have some prep time for that. And then Sunday is an easy day uh, in terms of my schedule. I just have to email the people who were on the phone bank on Saturday. <laughs> That's the and easy so day. Then there's all the emails I have to answer and give people information about. Wow, and that's just this coming week. Well, that's a schedule of every week. Yeah. 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 Yeah, so every week... That was got... probably pretty boring to go through all that. No, it's it's uh, it's fascinating. Uh, and as you're talking... It may be fascinating to you. I'm not sure how fascinating it will be to the people who listen. <laughs> I... You might want to cut some of that out. <laughs> no, I'm you not... <laughs> You could say, well, he started talking like this and this, and then he droned on for another half hour about all the stuff. <laughs> but you don't have to hear it all. Right. Yeah. <laughs> for, for listener convenience. Uh, yes. This is likely edited for brevity. <laughs> yeah. No, no, no. I'm actually going to leave that all in um, because, um, uh, you know, I'll, I'll edit out this, this banter between us, uh, but... Um, just taking a step away from from podcast mode, what what yeah. you just described there, what I what I uh, why why I find that fascinating is, uh, from a storytelling perspective, it helps somebody visualize what uh, your week feels like. Yeah, uh, and the the overwhelming impression that comes across is this is a a week of prep and busyness but yes like busyness that it's all the behind the scenes work that uh, a lot of people don't even know i don't know i did not i had no idea um and so so that's a a, a, I, i think for people listening there's this uh way of uh trying to get a glimpse of what's life like for somebody like you uh yeah you know uh who is actually involved, has gotten involved, and is, you know, you, your motivating tension uh, last fall was you wanted to do more. You wanted to, to get more yeah. involved in this election because it's an existential threat. So what does doing more look like? Uh, and that's what, that's what, that, that brings but, us But, you know, idea. but what I'm doing is at a level that's a lot higher than most people who get involved, right? Mm-hmm. Even people who are significant phone bankers who are really committed, mm-hmm. um, you know, like Henry uh, in our group, mm-hmm. um, you know, he's, he's doing the work. He's spending a lot of time doing it, but he doesn't have that sort of calendar of things. This is a, like a level of work and preparation that, you don't need to do for 90% of the people who or more who get involved in this. Right. You could do lots of really, really important work. Right. And not have to do any of this. Right. I'm, I'm kind of just one, one of the people that main job is not even so much to, to actually do the work, but to facilitate other people doing the work. Yeah. And that, and that's really important. So let me ask you, like, 
that sounds like a lot. So, you know, going back to what you're saying uh, that, you know, you wanted to do more uh, to get involved in this election, it, it sure sounds like you're doing more, uh, a lot. More. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right? So More than I really want to be. Ah, all right. So one of the things I want to ask you is, so uh, do you feel like you're now doing what you thought you would, or you wanted to do like back in the fall? Like, so do you feel like you are now doing more or do you feel like you still want to do even more? Um, no, I don't want to do more. Great. <laughs> I would prefer doing less. Got it. <laughs> so, but even, even given yeah. this election, I don't feel like I can do less. Yeah. And if I did less, then our group would accomplish less than what we're doing now. And I also have the fantasy of this group doing significantly more, but without me doing more. Yeah. Yeah. Which means recruiting and keeping people to do more while I stay the same. Yeah. Yeah. And so the, the week that you just had, that you're having every week, 30 or so hours of organizing, you know, that's one piece of this larger puzzle. Mm-hmm. Um, so that, that certainly, you're right, that certainly sounds like you're doing a lot. Uh, so so what what's motivating you to, to do all this? Yes, there's the existential crisis, but you could, you could have been just another phone banker, right? You didn't yeah. have to get involved in facilitating all of this behind-the-scenes work. Um, so what is it about facilitating all this that, that gets you motivated? Um, because not enough was happening. Um, you know, there wasn't a group in swing left greater Boston working on Wisconsin, Mm. which is one of the key states. Um, Trump really scares me. Well, I, he kind of scares me, but even more than being scared by him, I hate his guts Mm -hmm. and hate is a pretty, pretty big uh, motivator. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Um, but you know, a lot of this also is, I was raised to be an activist by my parents. Mm-hmm. Um, so I don't feel right if I'm not doing some sort of organizing that it doesn't feel like I am doing what I'm supposed to be doing on this earth. Mm-hmm. which is different than most people. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, uh, when I was really young, through the middle of third grade, my, my parents, they're white, I'm white. Um, I grew up in a completely black neighborhood. I was the only white kid in my school because my parents wanted me to not be racist. So it's just a, I have a long history of being raised and trained to do this sort of stuff. One of the things that I feel strongly about is that I don't believe that the way to win against Trump is to stop Republicans from voting. Uh, that's, no. that's their game. <laughs> You know, yes. uh, but the way to win is to get even more people to vote, period. Yeah. Um, 
and um, and it, it it sometimes feels like I'm 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 being either overly optimistic or overly idealistic, but that that brings me to the Gramscian idea of this this idea of optimism of the will and pessimism yeah. of the intellect. Um, what do you make of that? That uh, well, I've always been a glasses half empty person. <laughs> um, so I'm sarcastic. I'm cynical. Um, you ever hear of a, this guy named Frank Zappa? Yeah. All right. I was a big Frank Zappa friend, fan in high school. Uh-huh. I saw him live once. Um, and you know, he was biggest cynic as pot that there was this is earlier in his career. Uh, so that kind of fit with my personality. Uh Uh-huh. But, you know, it's, I'm not religious. I don't believe in God, but there's something about this concept of the arc of ju- the arc of history curves towards justice mm-hmm. that deep down inside me i don't know if i believe it or i want to believe it and it's you know doing lots of things but doing political organizing is really taking it it's taking you're taking up faith that it's going to mean something in the end it's an act of faith it's an act of um hope but it's definitely an act of faith and it's an act of solidarity um that you have to somehow end up believing in some way that people are good mm-hmm. and that things are going to work out. And to believe that or to act as if you believe it, I think that's in some ways what, how, what I take from that quote. Yeah. So that maybe a, a closing um, thought or a closing question then of, mm-hmm. so like I said, like I, I'm under no illusions that there's anybody actually listening to this right now. Um, well, other than me and you. Well, right. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and, and maybe some friends that we're probably going to send this link to some friends saying, hey, listen to this. And nobody's going to listen to it. <laughs> yeah. Um, or they're going to say, oh, God, that guy just droned on and on. Like a moron. <laughs> well, but maybe, you know, in the future. Or in... they'll say, depending upon the color of their skin, they'll say, God, what an entitled white fuck. <laughs> right, exactly. Oh, by the way, my, my podcast is marked explicit, so swearing is completely okay. <laughs> <laughs> it's totally fine. Um, but let's say, like, some some anthropologist some some years from now is excavating the ruins of of civilization and runs across this recording uh, <laughs> you know, and 
you know, or say, you know, like my, my kids, um, my, the, the audience I have in mind for, for this is, is really my kids. Some, mm-hmm. Sometime in the future, uh, if they ask, hey, during this most consequential election, you know, like, what the hell were you all doing? How did you, yeah. you know, whether it's the outcome is uh, what we want, which is defeating Trump, uh, or worse, if the, especially if the outcome isn't that, if the outcome yeah. is Trump somehow gets reelected. But, you know, defeating Trump is just the minimal yeah. necessary yeah. thing that has to happen. We, we, you know, then the Democrats have to be pushed to do what, but anyway, yeah. let's get back to the future. Yeah. So, so imagine like my kids are, are listening to this. Like, what would you want them to know about what does it feel like for you right now, nine weeks out from this election? What does it, what does it feel like in your stomach right now? Uh, aside from being full because I just ate dinner. Well, yeah. Um, yeah. My stomach feels fine. You know, I don't feel guilty. I don't feel anxious because I'm doing this work. I remember in 2016, all most people I knew, all my friends were just torn up over Trump winning. And some amount of it I mean, I was freaking out too, mm-hmm. but some amount of it was guilt mm-hmm. over not having done as much as they should have. Mm-hmm. I didn't have that. I felt perfectly fine in my my skin. And I feel the same way now. Mm. The... Uh... Yeah. The title for this series of podcasts, I'm calling it the long view um, mm-hmm. of, like you're saying, like the, the, the arc of history bends towards yeah. justice. And so we kind of yeah. have to take that long view. So. Yeah, I kind of think of it as um, I hope that the arc of history is one that curves towards justice, but it's okay if it doesn't get there. I'm just here to help it along a little. Yeah. That's, I think, the most that I could rationally hope for. Yeah. Well, and we're doing that together. So, yeah. yeah. We are. Thank you so much. Um, sure. Yeah, you, you, your story is, it, it really inspires me. Well, thank you. Well, I'll see you on Wednesday, right? Absolutely. Yeah, I've got some ideas as well. And so that's Steve. Even in the closing moments of that interview, being the organizer and making sure that I'm motivated and that I'm going to show up to do the training uh, this Wednesday, tomorrow. And as I'm thinking about Steve, um, one of the things that that lingers for me, uh, there was there was so much more that we got into in the interview that I didn't include in the podcast about um, how he grew up and about how his parents raised him. And there's a fascinating set of memories and histories there. But what, what stuck with me is his, his reflection, his thought 
thoughtfulness as he lingered on the question about what is it that's motivating him today? What is it that keeps him going? And where, when he could just be just a volunteer, just like me, just like anybody. And how he said it as, as that if he doesn't help people get organized, that if he doesn't actually get involved in, in that way and do more, that for him it doesn't feel like he's doing what he's supposed to be doing on this earth. And thinking about this, this long arc of history and the hope, the faith that it will bend toward justice. But what's lingering with me is Steve's reflection that he may not see it. He may not see that arc of history. We may not see that arc of history bending toward justice. And that's okay that his role, he, the way he sees it, is just to help move it along a little while he's here. And that is what motivates me as well. And as I think especially about how I feel nine weeks out, I don't feel the way Steve feels. He said he feels fine. I feel a pit in my stomach. I feel anxious. I feel depressed. I see signs that the Republicans are really onto something here with this emotional argument that these protests are violent and anarchic and painting a picture of chaos that will scare suburban voters away from Democrats and to reelect Trump. Um, and so I feel pessimistic. I feel intellectually pessimistic. I know full well the power, the emotional power of those arguments, even if intellectually I know that those arguments are false, but that's an optimism of the intellect. If I just rely on like, oh yeah, clearly that's false. They, they really can't win with that, can they? No, they can. Intellectually, I'm actually pessimistic. I know they're onto something because that's what Republicans do so well. They have a way of telling stories so much more powerfully than Democrats. But even with that intellectual pessimism, People like Steve give me an optimism of the will. And that I see how Steve sees it as just helping move the arc of history along a little. And every little bit counts. And my role is to be a supporting character in Steve's story. And to be a supporting character in the story of so many of those first-time phone bankers, those first-time volunteers who are nervous about making phone calls, and maybe even if they have made phone calls before, phone banking before, making those kinds of calls in this environment, in this level of stress. Those are who I'm, I'm focused on. And so this week is all about being a poll worker. Today, I'm about to go spend 18 hours at a polling station, and I'll tell you stories from the polling station next week. But in the meantime... Here's hoping all of us are going to do our little part to help move the arc of history along just a little. And so, let's take the long view. I hope you all stay human, stay tuned, and stay dangerous. Thank you.